Welcome to KiteCast, co-hosted by Tim Freestone and Patrick Spencer, that features interviews with IT, security, compliance, and risk management leaders and influencers. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another KiteCast episode. I'm Patrick Spencer, one of your hosts. My co-host, Tim Freestone, is on the line as well. Tim, good morning. How are you doing? Patrick, I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. It's a Friday. We have a real treat today, Tim. Uh, Dr. Rebecca Wynn is the founder and host of the Soulful CXO podcast and spent her career in a number, if you take a look at her LinkedIn profile, cybersecurity, data privacy, et cetera, leadership roles. Uh, she is also the host uh, on the Threat Watch Bright Talk series. So everyone should uh, Google both that as well as the Soulful CXO podcast uh, once you've listened to our episode today. Uh, she is joining us. Currently, Rebecca is the Global Chief Cybersecurity Strategist and CISO for Click Solutions Group. Her prior roles include Global CISO for Spring Health, Chief Cybersecurity Strategist for Adelante Healthcare. I'll say that correctly yet. Global CISO, Chief Privacy Officer for, at uh, 247.ai, CISO, Data Protection Officer for Matrix Medical Network. I could go on. She's held a lot of different roles. She's on the Forbes Technology Council. Uh, she's a member of the Board of Advisors at the CyberWire and a member of the Board of Advisors at Cybersecurity Tribe and Cyber Theory. She holds a bunch of different degrees, a doctorate, a couple masters, a master's degree. Uh, Tim, I don't know, all the guests we have always make us look uh, pretty minuscule with all the yeah. things they've done. <laughs> Rebecca, thanks for joining us today. We're looking forward to this conversation. No, thank you very much. And just a little tidbit, I also play trombone professionally just to go ahead and do something else. In case I played trombone. I, life. I played trombone from uh, fourth grade to ninth grade, I think. Um, it's a great instrument. No, it's, it's, it's awesome. My, one of the key groups I am, I'm the associate principal here at the Scottsdale Philharmonic is one of the four. Wow. Groups I play awesome. Professionally. Yeah. Yeah, she's a leader in a number of different roles, including in the music realm. So, uh, <laughs> All righty. Well, you know, tell us a little bit about your career. I mean, you've held a bunch of different roles. How did you get into podcasting? Uh, you know, you're doing the, the show with Bright Talk, then you started your own show. How did all that start? It was interesting. I Really, it goes back to Doreen, who's with the, the Cyber Tribe. I actually first met her at Matrix Medical Network. I had just started, and actually one of our VPs was actually supposed to be going to the event. And they're like, hey, you want to go? And I'm like, sure, I'll go ahead and go. And I saw a person out there who was leading the event and, and being the moderator and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, you know what? I could do that. And we we connected. Um, she invited me to another event. At that event, two of the speakers, due to weather and sickness, couldn't make it. And I was giving like a small talk. And she's like, could you go ahead and bunt? And I'm like, you know what? In the hot water, I got used to doing that when I did DOD work. So I gave two presentations there. And then the more you do, the better you get. And the one thing that people, I get two things that people call me. They call me the Melissa McCarthy of cybersecurity. Thing because I make fun of myself. And I make fun of um, errors I've made. And I think people can learn when they can do stories. So I'm kind of like a Brene Brown uh, storyteller. And then when I would go ahead and be uh, leading moderating panels, I like to go ahead and get to the heart and soul and learn why you thought that way or what's your process. So people also call me the Oprah Winfrey of cybersecurity. So it naturally let me go and, hey, let me go ahead and try a podcast and see if I can go ahead and not do a podcast, do a podcast, but I like telling stories. And that's where we're right now. I have 15 out. They release every Tuesday, but it's heart and soul. Like people like Teresa Payton, who is the first female White House CIO. 
And a little spoiler alert, she talks about not even almost taking the call because when someone says the White House wants to ask you about the CIO position, she thought she was being fished. And we talk about that on the show. <laughs> so cybersecurity and women, that's a topic that is of interest to us. Uh, I used to do research reports at uh, Fortinet going back a few few jobs, actually, when I worked for Tim back then as well. And uh, we would survey the industry to see, you know, across different industries, you know, sectors, uh, how well women were doing. And it did seem that things were improving. Is that your sense over the past few years that we've seen more women get into cybersecurity or is it kind of still the same or, or is it getting worse? I think you hear about it more just because we have cyber divas and, and we do. And that's a group that actually tries to highlight the women. And we have some other people say, what's who's the top 100 women? I don't know. how I've been on that list, too. Don't know exactly how they determine who's the top women. So we have some some people like that who try to bring more exposure. But to be honest, I don't think so. And I do find more women who I talk to privately that more of us are, for lack of a better word today, like disgruntled, disappointed not feeling supported um, along those lines. It, for me, it's always interesting because I'm very strong technologist. You know, I start out as a chem, math, type major, all that kind of stuff. I started out where I thought it was going to be pre-vet because I like animals a lot, but I couldn't handle the blood. Um, <laughs> and that's why you got to see my, my background. I was really big in photography. I was really big in sports. I played softball and stuff like that. Got photography degree, went ahead and did stuff with Sports Illustrated and, and things like that. But I Hawking cameras for a long time. I was like, I'm too smart for that. Like to do as a hobby. Went back, got my double MBA. I uh, was in financial services for a long time. I was number one nation mutual of Omaha, New England Financial, but it wasn't my heart and soul. And then I went back and got my degree in IT. So that's one reason I always explain people like, you know, my journey is like crooked, but I think all those life lessons makes me the better person that I am today. I find that quite a bit when I actually interview women. A lot of people, you know, we start out with STEM or we might have come from more of a liberal arts background. So a lot of times we're broader and bigger. But when I, it's interesting when I interview for like, Rebecca, will you come be our sister full time and, and not help all these other side companies that, that you do under, um, you know, Click Solutions Group. But I'm like, I'm always open to that. But I'll be like, you're too much into governance, risk and compliance. And I'm like, guys, I have to meet those requirements or we can find ourselves in legal jeopardy. So I have to be able to advise counsel things along those lines. I don't know how not to do that. When I look at enterprise risk management, to what, right? Are we going towards our contracts? And if you look at our contracts, they refer to what is your minimum standard that you have to keep as well as what regulations. So a lot of times people say, you speak about that a lot. And I'm like, that's one way you can do it from a technology perspective um, really mindfully. And I think that I got that really big training for Department of Defense, right? I was always going ahead and even being leading lead assessor across the world, leading teams, being able to say, can you keep this connected to the government grid or disconnected? And a lot of times when we did do that, it's like, Rebecca, what's going on? Now we need you to lead that security team or that networking team to fix it. Well, failure is not an option. So if there's something going on with that firewall, there's something going on the core, there's something going on the routers and all that. Yeah. I can deep dive those. I look at the config files from a text file and I can map out architectures from that. So I don't lose that, but we do lose that today. Not only talking about men, but talking about women. But when you talk about women specifically, I think, are they technical? Are they not technical? Are they just going to be GRC or not GRC? What are they going to be? And if you are a little bit more hybrid like me, it makes it tough. Um, and then the whole thing, there is a thing going on 
women find it a little bit more than men. It's the whole thing about, you know, how popular are you this second of the day? I, I hate that. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but a lot of companies out there are starting to like a poll every day on how popular you are, your staff. I think that makes it very hard for any system to do their job if you have to be popular at any yeah. moment of time. Yeah, that's actually um, a good segue into a, a question I have for, for you. There's a lot of different um, generations now in the workforce, right? And I had a, a conversation with um, a, a woman the other day. She's about 36, so kind of right in the millennial framework. And um, she, and I mean, it's not a question. I'm just interested in your take on this. <clears throat> she said, the millennial, our group has a very challenging road in, uh, in the workplace because on one side, you've got the boomers and the Gen Xers who, who grew up predominantly in a work environment that is um, you go to work to work and you take orders, you, you give orders. Again, it's not so much that way anymore, but that's predominantly how we grew up. And on the other side, you have Gen Z, which would rather not take any pay as long as the, the work environment was appreciative and nurturing and cultivating and those types of things. And then millennials are in between trying to balance both sides of those and um, lead, lead Gen Zs and, and, and up manage up to, to boomers and Gen X. What do you think of that comment? I've been thinking about it for days now um, and whether it's true or not, or, you know, just the whole demographic and dynamic of different generations in the workforce, especially in the context of cybersecurity, where it's so critical that sometimes you have to just do what you're told, but at the same time, you have to balance people's uh, generations. And what what do you think? I think it's true. And I will tell you a, what we've been talking behind everybody's back lately. Um, actually, I do have this on a podcast. It's actually just released to, um, Tuesday with Diana Kelly, who this past Tuesday, and we talk about it. We call it right now the pariah syndrome, um, is, is what we're talking about. And I think Jennifer Beck just posted something similar to that on um, LinkedIn, or at least I went ahead and made a, a comment on it. So we call it pariah syndrome. And it's right that age bracket you're talking about. So anxious to be a chief in the name. And I tell people when I write about this, don't aspire to be so, so aspire to be the best holistic person that you can be doing what you love and whatever that title will be, you, you will become that. And especially mm -hmm. in our field that that's transitioned so much on what that title means, you know, maybe that means you're VP of information security. Maybe that means your chief security digital officer. Maybe that's your trust officer. Don't worry about that as much because we're one of those things. that's not congruent yet, but there's so much want to be a title and a lead that the people who are above them who have the years of experience who have, I tell people I'm surprised that you can see my nose because I'm falling on my face so many times. I'm surprised <laughs> right. it's still there. Yeah, right? exactly. But you have to go through those bumps and bruises to oh. get there and they don't want to do that. And right. so one of the ways to do that is to take out the leader above them. What they're better at in a lot of ways is doing all the networking and getting my team and stuff like that. And I've actually had that before when I've gone in and, and um, for people before consulted and said, it's my team. They listen to me. They don't listen to anybody else. And I think that's extremely dangerous. And I actually went to the executives and said, you have a dangerous person here. Mm -hmm. You literally have where it's my team. I have 18 people or 22 people or 28 people who are listening to me. They believe what I say and all this stuff. And I said, you need to get rid of that person. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter about what their skill sets were. It doesn't matter what projects they can mm -hmm. deliver. They're literally the ones who can torpedo you. That was never accepted holistically in the older age forces. And when you go to the younger 
workforce, they, it, the younger generation who come to mention me, they said, you know, we want to be able to balance our life, but I want to have a good career. And this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be holistically as a person. And so I do find them easier to mentor and lead. Not saying I don't have people who are 34, 36, and 38 that I mentor. And anybody out there who really wants to be mentored, you can reach out to me. There's several of us out there, but they're more open. But I think it's the priors that are that want to get that title quicker. Now, I will say on the flip side, I did meet a lady um, a couple weeks ago at a conference, and she was has a very stellar career, has has had a lot of things that she's proven in her time and teams and stuff like that she can lead. And she's been following a guy from company to company. He's with a big company now, brought her in. She's moved up. And he said, yeah, I'm still training her up to at some point in time be a deputy CISO. And I would tell you, me and a bunch of other women are like, you need to bail out of that. There's these type of companies that you have the skill sets to actually lead them to a great place. You don't have to to single your life depending on one person being a male Mm -hmm. or female. And -hmm. you never need to follow a person from career to career to career in a company and thinking that they need to define you when they say you're ready, ready. I tell people, so there's two things that I find in that gears that they're a little older, but I do find that from that 30, 36 to 48. Cause the one thing is that women holistically and I'm included if I look at a job, I'll go ahead and say, you want these 10 things? I have nine. So I apply it or not. That's generally not true with males. Holistically across the board, they're like, I don't have any of them. I don't care. I'll go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the one thing with women usually don't apply for a job unless they really, really think they can do that. And so that's one thing that I tell my HR. I'm like, I don't care who the woman is. I don't care what your algorithm will say. I don't care what the ATS says. If a woman applies, I want to see that. One or two things. One, I'm going to see if there's another position that's available for me, or I want to see if there's someone else I know who has that position, or sometimes I want to talk to them privately going, what you're applying for and what you're saying is in your heart and soul. Let me have a one-on-one. These are type positions that you more align with. And I just did that successfully with a woman who was underselling herself. She was really a strong GRC person, was struggling with the analyst, and now she's a manager GRC and, and rocking it. So that's when I also want to talk about holistically women supporting women. And mm-hmm. helping each other and don't be the pariah. But that's what I see in that age group, trying to get to where they either holding themselves back to a situation that they could be in or trying to take out the person at, ahead of them, especially when it's, a, when it's a woman. It's not it's not OK being a male either. But that's what's going on right in that age group right there. It's I, I don't know if that explained it to you, but that's what we're seeing. And if I'm seeing it and I'm talking to other global leaders out there who's seeing it, yeah. we want to help you. You just need to reach out so we can try to help you. But you are getting the reputation very quickly behind the scenes of being a pariah. And we do talk. Yeah. How do you get more Gen Z women interested in cybersecurity beyond STEM and so forth, which is talked about in the marketplace today? But there's got to be other ways beyond just getting more of them in STEM programs. Well, I think trying to go ahead and front a STEM program, I think, in, is wrong, to be honest with you. Um, and that's really holistically for anybody. You know, if you just look, it's science, it's technology, engineering, mathematics. Just when I said that, half the audience probably fell asleep. <laughs> but there are great things out there. Like I tell you, there's Physics Girl out there on YouTube. If you haven't watched Physics Girl, please go watch Physics Girl. She goes ahead and she, like, the rainbow. Why is the color above the rainbow and below the rainbow different? What's happening? You know, so part of it is actually going ahead and using a different speech to make it interesting. Yeah. 
you know, one thing's like you just mentioned my podcast. I just had someone else listen to it who's a producer and said, your podcast resonates with people regardless if they're in technology or not. They can learn and energize. I think we need to go ahead and find out a new way to get people energized. And if you find new people, a new way to energize them, fine. I think one thing that does happen for women, for some reason, somewhere around when we're in eighth grade to, to maybe, you know, definitely when you're a senior, for some reason, the energy on how cool and interesting math and science and stuff like that is, is not there. And part of it is we don't have great models along those lines. TV shows, it, you know, until we had um, Maya Bellick in the Big Bang Theory come on as a female scientist on that show, it was guy scientists who were quirky. But what was what was Penny doing? Penny was a struggling actor who, you know, was waitressing, but didn't like it and all that stuff. That was the model. I love the show and I love Penny. Don't get me wrong. But we didn't see that there was a woman who could scientist. And even when we had a woman as scientist, she was quirky and odd. So that's why I said we need to have more people like physics girl and stuff like that who um, show that being in science and doing this stuff is really cool. We don't have the models out there. Hopefully I'm being a model in cybersecurity mm. and hopefully other women. But that's part of things. We lose it in that age group. Mm. And if you look on TV... There's not a lot of cool scientists out there, male or female, but there's definitely not that many cool female. Don't get me wrong. I love my, my ability and I like her, her, um, her podcast as well. Hmm. You know, um, uh, I'll, I'll throw another line at you. You get to my stage in the career. You have a lot of lines that you kind of build up throughout life, but this one is, um, uh, you, you can't, um, motivate someone, but you can definitely demotivate them. Um, would you agree with that? And then uh, yes or no, uh, how do you see motivation different from energizing? Because you said, you know, we got to get people energized. And it got me thinking about the, the line that I just said, and, and are they different? But what do you what do you think of, of, of that? I think it's true. I think it's true that you're male or, or female. And I'll give you again, I'm a storyteller. And I like to tell from my heart. Um, not too long ago, I was you know, doing, doing work, busting my butt, pulling way, a lot of hours, thinking holistic enterprise risk management level and stuff like that. Had a meeting with the person who was a CTO, who was the boss of my time. And out of nowhere, I was blindsided by his wrath, his like, don't you understand your contract? Don't you understand how we get paid? You know, you're looking at this holistically and how to fix it, but that's going to affect my bonus and all that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. it trauma, I'll be honest, it traumatized me. It traumatized me where it was like, I froze, right? I like, I could tell inside crumpling. Mm -hmm. One, I think security by design, compliance by design, privacy by design, the way Rebecca thinks is that the cyber criminals are out there all point in time. We're in the cyber world all point in time. They have to win once, we have to win all the time. You can have a person internally do it on purpose or try to go to a website or do something nefarious, go ahead and get a GitHub and stuff like that. And now we can get nailed that way just because they didn't know. And so we need to holistically think about stuff. I never look at how was, I'm never looking at doing the right thing and how it's going to affect my paycheck. I do the right thing because doing the right thing is doing the right thing. So that traumatized me. And I literally had to reach out for some really good, good people on, is it me or whatever? And I reached out some very top CISOs like Jim Roth, Teresa Payton, Terry Grafestein. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on here? 
Yeah. And they're like, they're not, we're in a very toxic situation. No kidding. You, and that's a toxic situation for anybody. But part of it is having those mentors and people that you can reach out. And I should tell you, having a, those are mentors for me. That's different from a sponsor in that company. Your sponsor will have your back at all points in time. It might say something like that in the meeting you presented this way. This is how in the future we can present it better and let me support. That's a sponsor. But a lot of times we go into roles thinking we have a sponsor when we have a mentor, maybe, or we have a person who hired us, which is, which is different. I don't think I want to try and answer a little bit more holistically, but that's the part where, where I think it doesn't matter if you're a CISO, CTO, CIO. It doesn't matter if you're a talent scout or anything like that. That's holistically damaging companies as a whole. How, how do you go? You brought up an interesting point. How do you go find a good mentor or a set of mentors who can help you? They, they probably should not be within the organization you're working in most cases. You want to find someone who's outside the organization and will have a unique perspective. Uh, and you need more than one. You know, how do you go about building that? Uh, that bench, if you may. So part of it is, is you want a mentor for what? And I'll give you an example. When I was working with DOD, I ended up having a great DOD person who signed off on all my reports. And those reports, you have to be spot on, right? They can go to legal, things along those lines, shutting down. But she was a very, very top security engineer, and she was picky as heck. But what I did, I went to her and I said, look, I want to learn how to write these better. I want to go ahead and be able to make a powerful impact. Can, can you teach me? Because I'm teachable and I really will put in the work, right? And that was very specific. I didn't look at her about, you know, how do I grow my network and stuff like that. So part of it is looking at what do you need from that person? And, and then if you go ahead and listen to podcasts or different things along the lines, you look at people writing, you'll find that person, if you listen to your inner heart, what is it that nugget that it is that they can go ahead and give you? So I think one of the things is that we look at, like when I go to Jim Roth, I go to Jim Roth usually when I'm like, hey, I need a sanity check. This is what's going on. This is what I'm thinking. Does it holistic work and the leadership and stuff like that? And I go for him very specifically. If I do Teresa Payton, same way, Terry Grafonte, very specifically. But mm -hmm. if I want to know holistically as an individual on stuff that I, I'm struggling with, those are different people. So I think when you try to get a mentor who can be all in one encompassing, we're human beings. Good mentors. I do not know a good mentor out there who also does not have mentors. I don't know a good mentor out there who doesn't have multiple mentors that they go very specifically for different things. And that's not a huge set that that is a, you know, a subset. Like I personally have three mentors I can go to at any point in time. Um, for a variety of things, but there's like really five and they're not only just on CISO work. If that answers your question. So resonate and then ask. I don't, I don't say yes to everybody. The people I say yes to is their heart and soul has resonate with me. The way that I approach life, they need to approach it similarly. Why? Because we're going to help them think through it. Not that they do what I say, that we can think through it, discuss it, and they can get down the path how they want to get through the path quicker because we're all in alignment. Hmm. I, I, um, it's interesting. I think back on my career and, and the, my mentors, it, all of them happened organically. You know, I never went purposefully and tried to find a mentor. I don't know if that's unique or, um, I'm, that's how most of them happen, but you know, three or four that just, they just mentored me organically. I didn't say, Hey, will you be a mentor? 
is that what do you think of uh, how often that's the case? And I remember the one time I had someone frankly come up to me and say, I need a mentor. Will you be my mentor? It was, it was actually at uh, Fortinet. I was sort of taken aback because I didn't know how to answer the question. Of course I said, yes, but I didn't know what that meant in terms of responsibilities, because again, everything that I'd been mentored on just happened by course of, uh, careers and needing information and what are your thoughts on organic versus purposeful mentorship so i would i would go ahead and say that that was purposeful i would say personally what i say is when there's a person like that you feel that heart-to-heart connection you feel that openness that openness to discussion it's fluid and they keep coming back in your life and you keep coming back in their life for that point in time so i say that that just happened on a inner soul level and the words didn't have to be said because mm. that connection was there. So I think it's there. I do have people who reach out to me. I don't know them for from anything. I don't feel that connection at all. Maybe if I have time, I'll go ahead and meet them for that five or 10 minutes. But there's merely that heart and soul. Now, it's interesting. If someone actually writes me and they go ahead and I look at them, I feel I can feel that connection. And it's interesting we get when we talk, we can do that. So I think it happens on a soul level that might be a little bit too um, spiritual for people. But I think there's an innate. And when you talk about other people, Jim Roth, I met Jim Roth and Jim Roth and I immediately just talked, clicked. He was open. I was open. I asked him, I said, hey, can I go? Can I can I call you at times if I'm struggling stuff? And he goes, absolutely. I said the same thing to Teresa Payton. That's the way I said I didn't see mentoring. I did have one person in my life that I did reach out as a mentor was it was a great vp in the company that was just struggling some stuff in the company they were like the guru guru and i asked them can we meet on a regular basis so i can learn these areas can you mentor me in it mm. it's like 13 years later uh, we're friends but they still are like that big sister that i've never had in my life mm. um so i think it, it when you say organically and inorganically i think it does happen on a, a an inner soul level um, you, so that's um, the way that I see yeah. it. You, you just know, you, whether it's like you said, a conference, it's eye to eye. There's that quick content. And part of it is you have to know that they're sincere and they're open and they really mean it. It happens organically. Yeah. What, um, what, what you said the word soul a lot. Now we know why you, your book is titled what it is. At what point in your career did you decide, geez, I should write a book about this and what inspired it? And then maybe you can talk a little bit about what people can take away and why they should read the book. Well, I haven't written the book has not come out yet, but there is a book coming, um, but I do do the soulful um, CXO. I have written other. Is that the title of the book? Is it going to be the soulful <laughs> CXO? It's got to be right. Be um, so one of the things I noticed myself throughout my whole career on imposter system and trying to be everybody, how they wanted me to be and that who I was at my soul. And one of the things that was really pivotal in my life is I took care of both my elderly parents before they passed. And one of the things they did is they wanted to travel back one last time to, you know, where they're raised. And I met a person there who, you know, you know, I remember you in year three. And one of the things they went ahead and they said, you know what? I felt a little knock on my door and I came in the door and I had picked, you know, some sort of wildflowers. I handed them the flowers and I smiled and I left. I didn't ask for anything. I didn't ask for a piece of candy. I didn't ask for a thank you. I just smiled and went on. And that's who I am at my core. And I made a pivotal decision. I'm like, 
I'm not going to apologize anymore that I'm analytical. I can get big jobs done. I can think holistically, but I want to try and do it in a caring manner. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to let a pariah eat me as well either. But holistically, I think of the human. We're having a human experience. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I see things from a heart and soul perspective. And when I look at the books and the people I read, those are people who always resonate me. When I looked at my close circle people, that's where they come from. People who just want to earn money, for example. Great. You can offer me $3 billion a year to go ahead and take a job. And if it does not resonate with me, I will not take it. On the flip side, if you want to offer me a job for no money, I do a lot of stuff for charity. I would have to see if I agree with that charity works. I'm not going to work for, for free either unless I'm doing charity work. But does that make sense? It, I, it, it's, sure. I think it's bigger than, you know, just the dollar. And I've never functioned in my life by the dollar. So that's why when someone comes to me and says, we look at this bonus structure and all that other kind of stuff, it's never going to resonate with me. It's going to resonate me about, you know, how is this affecting other people? How is it affecting people internally or externally? How is it affecting us to be able to, you know, protect, you know, our customers from being attacked. And this is what's going to be the implications or how is this going to protect the United States and stuff like that. And so you will see that the jobs generally I go to, sometimes there's been failures because it ends up not being aligned, but it's your vision and mission is it to be bigger than yourself. And that's why you'll find me in healthcare quite a bit. You'll find me in emerging technologies quite a bit. And then you'll find me in financial services because everybody should be able to have a financial plan and be secure. Everybody should be able to have healthcare wellness at some point. And, and, and technology can make your life easier. It can make us harder as well, too. But you can use technology. You can have more time and more human connection. So that's why people always go like, she's always in these three, you know, trains of thought. Mm -hmm. But that's the reason why, if that answers your question. But yes, there will be a book called The Soulful CXO. And it'll be not only about me, but great stories about other people who think more like-minded like myself and how that has shaped our career and how we have also learned from failures and Failure is only failure if you stay in it. Failure can, if it, you, you springboard that to be a better human and make the, a better ripple effect in the whole world and your family, then that's a win. And so what I, that's what I try to do. Again, I should have a flat nose because I fail a lot. <laughs> I wish I wasn't that way, but I learn a lot from failing. See, I'm going to take that line now and add it to my library. Uh, the flat nose line. That's a good one. That'll be the name of Tim's book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know stories with Dr. Rebecca Wynn. Um, yeah. You know, I think Tim and I've interviewed a number of folks who started off in the military, typically. And it seems that they, you know, I'm picking up a trend here, talk more about GRC than others. They, you know, cybersecurity issues, cybersecurity risk. How do you go about addressing those? Uh, implementing GRC seems to be, you know, one of the critical tools in their toolbox. Um Rebecca, can you comment on that? You know, you, your military background, do you think that gives you a unique lens? And do you see that as you've been at a lot of different companies, those who have a military background, do they tend to use GRC more often than other strategies to address cybersecurity risk? I think if you come from somebody from financial services, banking, um, for example, when you do go ahead and come somebody who is used to protecting the, the D to D. One of the things is that we understand very quickly the negative impact of being attacked. 
And the one way to go ahead and try to mitigate it as quickly as possible, find out about it as quickly as possible, and resolve it as quickly as possible, because both those sectors have been nailed, is to have some sort of governance risk and compliance framework you're following. The other thing is, is you talk about DOD, we use the secure technical implementation guides. Why? It's because other people have figured out how to lock down Windows or Apples or servers or you know other devices and stuff like that. And can actually show you step by step how to do that mindfully for whatever security posture you need. So we already get it right. We use NIST and Security Technical Implementation Guides DoD. When you talk about financial services, they get it. I think one of the dangers right now is when I work with startups and I just had this bunch of phone says, "Ah, we're not going to get a CISO anymore. Why? Because we have more critical hires." <laughs> okay, good luck on that one. You know, watch, watch the self on that one. That's probably a breach waiting to happen. And I do follow up quite a bit on breaches and help companies post-breach. But I'm like, you know, doing the right thing from access controls, privilege level access and stuff like that, that does not change. Really, We've been doing the exact same, those same concepts around 1950s, 1960s. What has changed is the attack vectors and how quickly attack vectors can go ahead and, and beyond steroids. It's the same thing when people talk about AI, right? If we can use AI for good, the bad guys can use AI also for, for bad. And they can go ahead and, and I'll just give you phishing, for example, all those spelling errors and all that kind of stuff. And I use chat GTP or open AI or whatever plethora of the thousand other variations out there. They can now go ahead and write that very intelligently and maybe get through easier because of that. So I, I tell people, that's the thing is, is that the tech vectors have changed and the frequency that people can attack you has gone up on steroids. When you talk to financial services, when you talk to government, they already get it. How, so how about that's, how, that's healthcare? The you, you, uh, we, we, Tim and I had a conversation about healthcare just recently and the fact that you know, it seems to have more attacks, successful attacks, and for that matter, than virtually any other industry. In fact, I think they were number one in the, the last IBM Poneman cost of data breach report that came out, or maybe it's uh, the, the data breach investigations report from Verizon. But why is healthcare always up there at the very top of the list when it comes to phishing attacks and ransomware attacks and, you know, the exposure of PHI data, which is is critical information. You don't want that out in there in the public, but that seems to be the, the, the piece of the puzzle that's talked about the most often. Yeah, I think one of, there's a couple of reasons I think for that. It's not that it's not not from lack of caring or anything along those lines. Um, so one one of the reasons is that used to be pretty much on a taboo list. It used to be behind the scenes. Hackers kind of had like this handshake that we won't go ahead and we won't attack hospitals and universities and things like that. As it has grown and got more, and state sponsored doesn't really do this much. But when you look at all these other syndicates, one of the things is they look at IP. P ranges, things like that. And so you might have somebody who's going through university, university statute of the hospital, and then the hospital gets nailed. So collateral damage um, compared to there was, we we will go ahead and we will see what IP addresses that they're on and we will literally not attack them because we know it can affect lives. And a few years ago in Germany, there was a woman who was being rushed to a hospital and that hospital was taken down by ransomware because they were trying to hit the university next to it. They had a university in the name, they're on the IP address and they taken down and she had to get rushed to the next hospital and she died in transit. Hmm. So it was the first potential case of um, not, uh, I want to say manslaughter, but like, un you know, it wasn't first degree murder that you didn't mean to, but you took off away services that actually cost someone's life. 
And so now if we go ahead and get you, now we're going to go ahead and we're going to charge you with, with that crime. So that's part of the reasons for that, too. When you think about when hospitals, especially even with the pandemic, it was all about we need to save lives today and how are we need to save lives today. So we're getting equipment in. It's not going through all the security checks and things along those lines because it's, you know, I need to save your life now or do you want me to go ahead and run the security check for the first eight hours first, right? You're going to be doing that. So part of it is the type of work. The other thing is, is that there has not been a very good in um, framework or methodology around a lot of this equipment. When you think of an imaging machine and stuff like that now, you know, before it wasn't connected to you know, the internet at all, then it starts connected and it wasn't being connected where we thought that hackers literally can hack your pay, pacemaker or they can hack your imaging machine or your dialysis machine. That wasn't even a thought that thought was always saving lives. So part of it was just when the equipment was developed, it wasn't thinking that way. So we have a lot of legacy equipment that's used to save lives. Saving lives is always going to become first. No argument there. Now, when you go ahead and you look when the new equipment comes, how are you going to do that? That's that's part of the, the challenges on that with with hospitals. And again, they're not no longer are they in that that safety protection zone there. And then when you think when you have um, heads of states and presidents and stuff like that going to hospitals and stuff like that, that also then increase those tech vectors. It's not only a physical protection anymore. Now you're looking at every piece of equipment that actually touches them could be exploited. That's when you also saw like when Cheney left the hospital and stuff like that with pacemakers. If you want to go back and read all that, could his pacemakers and stuff like that be potentially hacked and stuff like that? Yeah. So if that answer your question, I, I think so they're lagging, but it wasn't with the purpose lagging is they were kind of in a safety bubble. That thing is no longer a safety bubble. And now they're behind the curve. And not only can you go ahead and make a lot of money on the health records, but you also go ahead and when you have people who you might see as actors or actresses or people in political parties or influencers or whatever you want to have that might be important to you, that is a place maybe to go ahead and get them. You can actually exploit them because you can not only can if you can get the information, remember behind the scenes, you can say, I will make this public mm -hmm. if you don't pay me off. So there's yeah. a payoff of that as well, too, that is more than just let's go ahead and breach the hospital and let's go ahead and take everything offline. There's can I go ahead and exploit that information and get a payday? Per financial gain. Yeah. Is privacy by design that part of the solution? You've written a lot about that. You've, in fact, you had a podcast, I think, with uh, Ann Kevorkian, uh, who's the, the uh, mother of uh, privacy by de design, if you may. Um, you know, is that part of the solution in your opinion? Yes, it is. And actually, she may be an ambassador of privacy by design on her Twitter. I think it's about like 13 years ago now. So that's no reason why I speak about it highly. Her and I met and she's like, you speak on this a lot. <laughs> so we connected and, and then I don't know if you can see I have a blue war behind me, but that's actually from her. So mm. one of the things is if you think about privacy by design, one of the things that we did is is we have privacy after the fact, which I am against. I I should not have to pay an organization to take me off all of these public websites constantly that are putting my phone number out there, my personal address, all that other kind of stuff out there. I shouldn't have to pay them to remove it. I They should have to pay me to put it on, right? So I am a proponent of you should have to opt in and not have to opt out. I've always been that way. When you think about your data and how that is structured, if we went ahead and we tagged data upon creation with an expiration date, 
So you think about it, you could do that with an encryption key and different things like that. We do that with email expiration. How about data have an expiration date? So if I went ahead and I applied for a job, for example, why in the world is it 10 years later just coming back with a resume that I turned in you 10 or 20 years later? That should have said, you know what, we we will keep your your you know resume on file for six months if you approve it or one year if you approve it, and then it should expire itself off. We already do that with email. Why can't we do that with some of these other data creations? That's where I'm about. So when we create data, we should sign off and that that should have an expiration on it for whatever records. Even when you have a company that says that we keep this this personal record for 10 years or 15 or 20 years or whatever, when I do analysis of companies, I'll look at all that stuff and I'm like, you guys have gigabytes upon gigabytes, whatever the biggest word of gigabytes is anymore. I always forget what it is, Zookabyte, whatever it is. You have all this data that you actually promised people that you expire off in seven years and 10 years and you're not doing it, right? And I've even seen contracts where people say that we no longer are doing contract with this company and we agree to destroy the data. I'm like, your data is all sitting there because the way you have your database structured, you can't expire it off. Houston, you have a problem. So that's one thing I'm always about that. Security by design, enterprise risk management by design, privacy by design, we can build this in nicely. You can also go ahead and then you can anomalize the data. Great. If someone wants to go ahead and use anonymized data that can't get back to you, but for a greater good, there'd be no fear then for it to be done that way. And that's always mm -hmm. been my philosophy. And then when I met Anne, I was like, oh my God, you know, she is the queen. You know, I think 88 countries or something like that base all of their privacy regulations, all stuff on her now. Um, mm -hmm. GDPR and all that other kind of stuff is based on her, but that's why. And I'm like, it makes sense and we can do it. So yeah. that's where I come from on that. Did they answer your question holistically? I think you did. Um, we would argue that you want to cascade that down so that it's the access to that data as well. You're expiring those privileges and controlling them. And that's where the shameless plug KiteWorks comes into play because you can control all that, uh, you know, using GRC practices, and NIST uh, cybersecurity framework and so forth. So absolutely. They all go hand in hand. I think, if you think about data solely as a dollar cost point short term, until we get away from that holistically mm -hmm. worldwide, it's always going to be a problem. Playing the short game, I've yet to see ever wins long term. What you and I are talking about is how to holistically make this work, privileges, things along those lines. So then you always will have longevity. And the one thing I'll go back on both of us, right? I come from a trust officer perspective. You guys come from trust. If we can help you go ahead and do this very mindfully, that people can trust you, that you're good to your word. And if no, if the bad guys actually go ahead and nail you, and it's a matter of when, not if, can you go ahead and mitigate the, the damage as quickly as possible? Can you track how that damage is? Can you track it back to your contracts and how things are going to affect? Can you go ahead then put a management action plan, corrective action plan, plan of action milestone? It's the exact same thing. just depends what industry you're in. How are we going to do that mindfully and track that so you can trust us as customers and consumers? Then it's a win-win for everybody. That transparency is what you guys do is what I do. And I think that's what the world really wants. Yeah. I think that trust is critical. So we're unfortunately out of time. We're going to have to do this again when your book comes out. We need to have a whole additional podcast interview with you on uh, all the great uh, insights that you'll have in that book. So we look forward to having that follow-up conversation with you. So for our audience members who want to check out the Soulful CXO podcast, where can they find it? 
It's on all platforms. So Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, um, Spotify, it's on every single podcast. New episode is every Tuesday at 10 o'clock um, Pacific time. It's really Mountain Standard Time because I'm in Arizona. I do sometimes release a special one on Thursday, but definitely every Tuesday. Um, you can go ahead and catch that. And again, people like we've already talked about, Trisha Payton, Anka Vukian, Jim Ross, Terry Grafestein, all those type of people are on the show. Um, and then if you like to be on the show and, and you're from a heart and soul type person in a CXO, reach out to me at Rebecca at soulfulcxo.com. Oh, that's great. Great. Well, we appreciate your time today. Um, wish you the very best. For our audience members who want to check out other KiteCast episodes, go to kiteworks.com slash KiteCast. Appreciate your time. Look forward to having you on our next KiteCast. Thank you for listening to another KiteCast show. Check out other KiteCast shows at kiteworks.com slash KiteCast. Rate, comment, subscribe, and listen wherever you get your podcasts.